This is Coda Radio, episode 251, for April 11th, 2017. And welcome to Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week now, not so far away, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, Chris. Come back to Texas. <laughs> I loved it. I, I'm actually just barely outside of Texas. It takes nice. like two days to get... I'm in La, La Cursus, New Mexico, I think it is. It's like just a spitz throw or a stone's throw or a spitz distance. I'm not sure what this is. Texas saying. I, I don't know. Uh, to get it, but to get back in there. But no, it's, it is really nice. In Las Cursus, it's like uh, 80 degrees outside and uh, kind of never want to leave. Maybe I'll just sit here and do podcasts in New Mexico for the, for the rest of my life. But I missed you, so I had to get on the air with you. Had to. It's been, it's been a long time, Mike, since you and I have had a chance to chat. You know, and there's many I, things to cover. Many things I've missed you too. It's actually um, kind of ridiculous. I feel like the I feel like so many of the things that we talk about blew up while we took a little break. Such a Syria. Oh, 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 too soon, too too soon. Uh, so we have some really good things to dig into. Very excited to catch up with you on all of our main topics. It might be a little break from the t- typical format because it's kind of an on the road show, but that's okay. That's okay. It's going to be fun. Do you want to start though with a little like feedback follow up to just sort of even us out? Yeah, was, right. We got we got a lot of feedback. In fact, yeah. most of the show today is based on feedback on <gasps> subreddit. Ooh, should I? Uh, are you telling myself I should put on my flame retardant pants? Is that what you're telling? Me? There's a little bit of heat in some okay. of them. Well, you know, uh, Pinky Poo. <laughs> okay, wrote in. It says strong. Yeah, starting off good. <laughs> sorry, sorry to any QAs. Uh, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the field at whole, but at my work. There is a push for automated Selenium testing. So that leaves QA doing basic development work and developers having to support them. I find myself explaining the same things over and over again, such as basic Git operations, rudimentary programming concepts, and even how to find a recipe in a text editor. The things that I explain are memorized as magical incartations. And when someone goes and something goes wrong, they have no recourse to solve the problem. My unsubstantiated theory is that QAs don't really seem to have much in the way of debugging. They try to find problems that are rarely uh, and are rarely tasked of finding the root cause of the problem. I'm often asked questions that would be trivially solved by one, just reading the output, or two, a basic Google. And then, of course, three, there's always the internal wiki. So how common is it for QAs to be technically inept? Wow. That's uh, that's a fire extinguisher. You know, um, boy, it seems pretty competent in my experience. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can tell you way back in the day when companies had QA departments, um, QA folk didn't write scripts, right? They didn't write tests. They sat there at a browser with your Java applet, ran through it, found an issue, and they would go through steps to reproduce, right? Their whole job was to write you basically a bullet point list um, with steps to reproduce a particular bug. Yeah, they weren't doing anything in the code. And I don't know. I think, you could, I, think you, I think you could make the argument that a lot of shops would have made to me back in the day. We need sort of a average, typical consumer uh, view on this to help us find things that uh, us engineers up in, up in the code don't see because we know how it's supposed to work. It's like how sometimes a, a writer needs an editor. You think that's a fair... Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, I th- so I think there's a couple things, right? Having a diverse perspective on your software and what issues, uh, you know, may or may not exist is good. Sometimes developers have a super bad habit of being like, well, of course I wouldn't do that. That's stupid. Right. Um, but I'd also say that, you know, I've seen particularly in like the last six years, a real desire to not have QA engineers. Hmm. Um, or QA testers hmm. and a desire to make QA people basically affordable developers who just write like Selenium scripts, which is, I, I, I've used Selenium. I do use Selenium. Um, I don't think it, 
so this is where I'm a little off the uh, the kind of current hotness. I don't think like the Xcode, um, you know, UI test automation stuff. I don't think Selenium or the Android Studio test automation stuff is actually enough. I I do still think that the best type of QA process is the old hand it to a tester, let them bang on it for a while, and write up uh, yeah. an issue with steps yeah. to reproduce. I, I tend to I tend to completely agree, and I was curious to know what you thought about the old school like. QA is actually the go no go uh, point where if if QA says this is no, then you don't ship, and they have ultimate no go authority. Have you? What do you think? Is that too much? I, the reason why the reason why I liked it <clears throat> is because where I worked, there was a real honest, serious effort given to QA. There was a very large QA department. They had a long term QA manager. Uh, she'd been there for I don't know seventeen years, and she hadn't done that job the entire time. But she really knew the company. She knew what. She knew what the business was trying to accomplish with the software they were creating, and that was a very valuable insight to have over it, and her team was very good. So in that case, the go-no-go power seemed to really work. Have you? What do you think of that? So, I mean, for final shipment, yeah, right? So let's just take the easy case of an iOS app. Um, our process is that if it doesn't pass QA, it doesn't ship. Right, that's just the way it is. But for things like demo builds to customers throughout the development process, um, depending on the issue, sure, 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 sure. We like if it's small, we might just write in the deployment log to uh, we give like a deployment document with the customer. These are known issues that we intend to address in the next sprint. We won't stop that. Um, and this is actually a recent change. We used to not do that. We used to actually hold back builds. What we found is customers were more annoyed at not getting the build that they expected than having some bug in the build. So yeah. that's yeah. Yeah, your mileage you may vary. Work. You right. show and work there right. too. Yeah. Right. They they want to see progress. Um having said that, you know, I I don't disagree that some level of um agility is lost, right? by throwing a build over a QA wall and having people manually go through it. Mm. It's certainly a slow mm-hmm. and, frankly, expensive mm-hmm. process, right? I mean, that's why all this automation exists now. You almost, because, the only way to really make yeah. it work, and it's still, like you said, very slow, is you have to have a very strong human process. Well, yeah, you have to have a strong human process, and we have actually begun, um, for all my ranting years against automated testing, we've been supplementing with automated testing. <gasps> uh, I know, I know. Blasphemy five. Shocked. <laughs> That's why I'm losing my voice, right? I'm just so ashamed of myself. The what we're finding is it doesn't catch large categories of issues. Um, it doesn't catch particularly UI issues, sure. which tend to be fairly substantial. Mm-hmm. Uh, because anybody can talk about forty five shades of blue in a meeting for three hours, right? So those are the things you really want to avoid. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. But it does help. I mean, we what we've been doing, and I think I have a YouTube video about this. Uh, we're using Bitbucket pipelines for our rail stuff, and actually, if it fails the pipeline, we won't deploy it. Uh, the CI tool, oh. which is just the Bitbucket one, won't let it through uh, to our Docker Doku deployment. But for front end, that's a lot harder, right? It's a lot, a lot harder to say. Like one of the challenges we're having is. What automation, if any, can we get with QAing iOS apps other than handing it to somebody sitting at a desk and having them go through it on like three or four different iPhones? Where would I find this video? Uh, you would find it on YouTube, uh, the on the Buccaneer Tech channel. YouTube. Hmm, not familiar with that. Is that kind of like iTunes? That sounds new. Sounds hip. I like it, dude. Good call. Good call. Boom. All right, so uh, Michael, not this Michael, but uh, listener Michael writes and says, Hey guys, love the show, except for the usual pro-freedom hating GPU stuff. Uh, Does he mean GPL? Or does he actually mean GPU? Uh, I thought he meant GPL. Okay, I like GPU hating though. I like that we hate freedom GPUs. Uh, I've been working with my way through learning the basics of C with K&R's ANSI C 2nd Edition and was wondering about what direction you'd recommend I take as far as resources, uh, to further his development skills once he gets a real handle on C. I know it's been pretty popular lately to say that C is dead and that I shouldn't be, it shouldn't be used because of all the effort needed to make it thread memory safe. But it's pretty obvious that it's not going away anytime soon, a.k.a. deal with it! Apparently, Russ is the go-to right now. 
but I must have missed its past coverage on its pros and cons. Oh, we've dis- Oh boy, yeah, our Rust coverage is pretty scattered throughout the weeks of the show. Yeah. So, uh, so he's really kind of wondering uh, what direction to go after he gets a real handle on C. Well, one, it could, take you, it could take you a decade to get a handle on C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it depends on what you're doing, right? C is certainly not dead. I mean, I've been doing some Arduino uh, IoT kind of stuff with, with obviously Arduino, but uh, different types of frameworks and chipsets. Um, and that's all C. What I'm finding is that, though, if you want like a C, C++-like language, mm-hmm. but you want some niceties, Rust is a very popular choice. I have played with this some. I don't know a lot about it. I personally really like Go from Google, um, which I think a fair way to say that is Go is C, maybe more C++ with all of the advantages of, you know, 20 years. Making me wish I had my bell right now. Mm. Mm. Giving you a ding. Uh, so something like that, something like, you know, this is the, the thing is, is the reason why this question I feel like comes up is because there's not something that the person already wants to work on. Right. If you knew, for instance, that you wanted to do Arduino, let me just take, because that's the case that I was doing. Uh, yeah. C. yeah. Um, well, C, C++ is your easiest bet because that's what's supported. But there are, we've talked about GoBot. We've talked in fact, there's Rust. I forgot what the, the Rust framework is, but there is. Oh, yeah, we talked can about interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it a few times. So if you look in the past show, um, it depends what you want to do, right? I mean, certainly, if you're just learning for learning's sake, I'd say take a look at a bunch of them and see what you think. Yeah, and maybe find a project, and then uh, right. maybe a project will uh, push you in that direction. Okay, uh, we have one more one more email from Johnny, and uh, Johnny writes in, uh, and he says, uh, "I'm a listener since at least 2012, though I don't remember exactly when I started." He says Ooh, you it, got the wrong name. It's not. Oh, what is it? So that's William. Let's, ju- oh. let's do Johnny first. Oh, oh, oh is there uh, a different? Oh, did I just miss a tab? You missed a oh, tab. Yeah. I missed. I so, missed tab. Yeah, go ahead. So Johnny uh, and oh, a yeah, few others is. were feeling the hatred on the last show. Oh yeah. The coding heroes one. Oh yeah. So instead of putting them all in the notes, because you know, sometimes <laughs> we do this right, we just truncate it down. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were two, and we were talking about coding heroes, right? <laughs> uh, there was a blog post that we kind of went over about folks who stay up all night and work really hard. Yeah, blah blah. Yeah, the, uh, the these are the the heroes of the IT department or the heroes of your project. And both and I, I, I think if I recall, I started as sort of anti-hero, and then as we read the article, I was like, "Well, wait a minute, this just sounds like somebody who's getting a lot of shit yeah. done." <laughs> so we really had two main responses, I think. Um, And what's funny is it just like based on Twitter profiles and Reddit profiles, it seemed to vary by age or my, or how I perceive the age. Okay. Younger folks were quickly saying that you guys are old and grumpy and you know what, they are just people getting things done. And you know, this is like the startup mentality, man. You you sleep with the servers. Um, the older folks were like, yep, this is just bad managers who are greedy and trying to bleed out more time out of people all these dumb kids shouldn't be doing this. You and I, and I think more me came down on the grumpy old guy stance of these dumb kids who are, you know, doing this kind of crap. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> um, it shouldn't be doing it. And they're like actively devaluing their wages and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that what I found interesting about the response is not because none of them were particularly elegant. I mean, one email said that I was one of the corrupt managers because I'm obviously trying to death march people, even though that's like not what I said if you listen back. And that Chris is naive. Hey, Chris, you're naive. Yeah, the, it must be that 14, 14 15 years uh, in that uh, field. That, uh, right. Just didn't it's got to be. But then the following email, of course, had the exact opposite. Like, Chris is evil and trying to death march people. Sure. And I'm naive because I get too wrapped up in like the fun of writing Swift. <laughs> that definitely sounds like us. I like sounds it. Sounds like, like me. It. So, is it possible, Chris, that as people mature in their career, doing things like staying up all night and sleeping with the servers and like working for particularly equity? Like, I, there was a couple that really focused on like the startup vibe and like mm, that equity is probably not worth the paper it's printed on. Oh boy, uh, it, is it possible? And it, or is this our, we're hitting our grumpy old guy dad stride here? that maybe you grow up and realize, wow, this is a bad idea. Yeah, what would, well, I think you got, what you have here is you have yourself the, uh, this funny little thing called experience. And I really think part of it is, so uh, it wasn't equity back in the day, but um, there was a period of time where I was working 60 hours a week commonly. And I was making, mm. I was making overtime, 
but it was we were converting we were converting this entire system from DOS and NetWare to entirely new graphical systems, very advanced. It was a big deal. And it just required a ton of work and uh I would I would start to talk to them and say, gosh, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm I'm working a lot. Like maybe maybe we could either use more people or we've gotta we've gotta we've gotta like relook at what I'm getting paid because uh, I'm just I'm dying here. And uh and they said to me, they, they you know, they talk, they looked, they, they sound like they listened to me. It felt like they listened to me, and they, I was in a conference room, and I had two different managers tell me, well, Chris, you know, the one thing about Frontier Bank is, in 25 years, we've never laid anybody off. And once you've been here for seven years, you're going to vest. So I know it's tough right now, but you just got three more years, and then you're going to vest. Oh, of course you are, Chris. Yeah. And uh, in two and a half years, the entire IT department was outsourced after that conversation. Ooh. Oh. Yeah. My job, my job included, um, you know, because we got everything built, everything was running great, and now it was just right. getting down to maintenance and expansion, and uh, they felt like it would be easier when they did acquisitions if they just brought in a team of consultants for that to handle that acquisition and then spin them off again. And uh, so who needs that pesky IT department? So they broke their uh, quote unquote. Of course, at that time it was like twenty seven, twenty eight years of not laying anybody off, and laid off the entire IT department, uh, with the exception of the middle management layer, who then managed the consultants. Of course, and now they're out of business. But uh, so I think there's a bit of experience. The, the lesson I learned there was, and of course they would try to point to market events. They'd say, "Well, like because it was I was there during the dot com boom," and they'd say, and then the bust, and they'd say, "Well, look at all these people that uh, are out of jobs." All these guys out here are looking for work. They don't, they're not making anything. And we've never laid anybody off, and you're going to vest. So you'd be thankful you have a job, essentially what they're saying to me. Which right. is, if you think about it, <laughs> it totally is like, we don't value you. You're not a unique resource. You're, and, and, and the thing about right. that, the thing, the thing about it was, is companies don't have like a magic crystal ball. They don't know where things are going to go. They don't know how the market's going to go. They don't know if there's going to be a boom or a bust. They just... They ride with opportunity wave they can, and it lasts them a while. And so they can't make endless promises because they don't know even the largest companies. That bank wasn't like some huge, massive multinational bank, but it was the largest independent bank in Washington, which is a fairly large state, which was a fairly large bank, and they managed to collapse eventually. Uh, it, it tells you that they can make promises today, and then they can even have the best of intentions. That's the hard thing. Because you can even be sensing that they have the best intentions and they really want this all to work out. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. And I think that experience is probably colored my view of this entire thing to a degree. I've also, I also, though, have been in very dysfunctional group teams. Um, so there are sometimes just one or two people that are getting all the work done and there's a bureaucratic team of 15 people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's, it, you know, there are no hard and fast truths, right? It is totally possible to make a bad hire. I've done it, right? You hire someone, you think they're going to be good. And I mean, I've had cases where people straight up like lied on resumes. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometimes what will happen, I mean, I have, uh, I told you before we started recording, I screwed up my scheduling a little bit this last week, I would say. And I've been doing more traveling than I would have liked. Um. And I'm running the risk of basically having a ton of crap to do this week and last week. And then two weeks from now, I'm going to be like, so, Chris, how about a double today? <laughs> and that's just unfortunate. And that's one of those kind of management mistakes, which I think a lot of the anger was getting at. Like, the, there are management mistakes. But certainly, you know, the solution to that, like, isn't I'm not, like, death marching my dude, right? Like, that's I'm death marching myself. Yeah, 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 yeah. And some, you know, I, like I was saying too, is like sometimes you have to strike when the iron's hot because opportunity become, becomes available. And then uh, if you don't jump on it, then like uh, just as an example, like this, the timing for this trip to Dell, uh, I don't think I could convey what an opportunity this was in any yeah. video because it is, it is because you know to get to get me in the doors of Dell, it was six weeks of weekly meetings every Friday to coordinate planning, to secure uh, clearances, to make sure that we could have cameras in these areas, uh, to organize with the team of who we could talk about, because Dell itself is such a large company, and there's, there's so many different divisions, like, okay, who fits in? Where, when can we get them? Will they have people there? Um, you know, where, will we, where will we film? 
I mean, all of this stuff for six weeks leading up to this trip to Dell. Um, and if, if I didn't seize that momentum and stay on top of it and make that meeting every Friday and get down here right around the time that they're launching some new rigs, I may never, may, I may never have gone. And by doing that work, I, there isn't, I can tell you there has been no other journalist or camera that has ever, or microphones that has ever gotten just, we walked around Dell. Like we were in the cubicles. We just walked around. Like we got very, very exclusive access. I had to jump on that opportunity because it's never happened in Dell's history before. I had to jump on that. But it also meant that now I'm, I'm, there's a quite a big expense on Jupiter Broadcasting's part to get me down here and back right before our biggest event of the year, which is Linux Fest Northwest, where we're going to end the Linux Action Show. And that's really, if I had my way, that would be all of the work I need right now on top of my existing workload, would be planning Linux Fest, getting all of that set up, coordinating all of that, and planning the final episodes of Linux Action Show. So I kind of overbooked myself too in some sense, but I don't know, I felt like if I didn't seize the opportunity at the same time, uh, I would probably regret it. And so sometimes I don't, I don't know a better way to do it. Did you feel like you were in the same situation? You know, it was just a, a comedy of errors, kind of. Mm. Uh, things kept coming in and being delayed and delayed oh, and delayed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was going to be like one project this month would come in. We'd do a big push on it, and then it would go into a normal cadence, right? And what happened is everything got delayed on the same kind of cycle so that everything kicked off at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then when you add in, like, yeah, yeah. you know, guy gets sick, um, you end up having to take, you know, a baby to, to the doctor, mm. right? Yeah. Jeez. It's, oh, boy. Yeah, we've been... Yeah, it's a, I, yeah my, my little one has been in and out of the ER yeah, while I've been gone. Um, so I, I thought maybe just to pick it up a little bit, I thought I'd really quickly share with you my worst hire ever. I'll just do like a two minute do story. Uh, so before, before that, let's take a moment and thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coder radio program, digitalocean.com. Sign up with the promo code Coder digital. You get a $10 credit after you've created your account, you apply it. It goes in there as credit and you can create a rig in under a minute. These are systems that you can spin up using their interface that is to die for. It is the best interface I've ever seen to create virtual machines across a global infrastructure with all kinds of neat provisioning options, DNS options, integrating SSH keys, team accounts. It's, oh, it's, it's amazing. And then once you have the rig set up, you can, you, can, you can attach block storage as you want, and, and it shows up as a block device on, on your droplet, which is very powerful because then that means you can address it in the operating system however you like you can fi- you can format it however you like that is very sweet so just as an example we've got a droplet up there that just has a very small zfs array a quote-unquote test quote-unquote zfs array using this block storage i love it they have private networking which doesn't account doesn't account against your total transfer ssds for everything linux for the virtualizers kvm for the virtualization engine monitoring and alerting built into the droplet interface now mm, this is <laughs> this is this is like next level big league stuff because they've got a load balancer as a service they've got block storage you can do snapshot backup and they have monitoring and alerting in the past these could all be separate services each costing a, a, an awkward amount of money a month with their own control panels their own limits and features all this is just built into DigitalOcean. You turn them on as you need it. The price seems unbelievably reasonable, and it's all integrated into the, into the UI and that API. DAT, D-A-T, DAT, API, guys. I'm doing stuff on the road using the API all the time. You combine the monitoring with some of the many great apps available for your mobile device using the API. It's API magic. And you can get started for hourly, three cents an hour, for like a great rig. Two gigs of RAM, two core processor, 40 gigabyte SSD, three terabytes of transfer. For three cents an hour? And that's a really nice machine. And they've got, they've got lower end, higher end pricing. In fact, they've got rigs that'll go up to like 220 gigs of RAM. What kind of shenanigans is that? DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Coder Digital. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com. So, uh, <laughs> When uh, when I was in IT and I was transitioning out of uh, help desk and I was moving into server support, I had to hire my replacement. And in Washington, 
a lot of um, people in the IT field looking for work at that time came from Boeing because Boeing had done a bunch of layoffs. And I thought, this guy who came in, he checked all the boxes, he answered all the questions, he'd had years of PC desktop support. Seemed like a slam dunk to me. And, uh, he, he, you know, what I realized was is that I was relying too much on questions that were pre-written for me. And so the guy gets in, and I discovered that he had only ever worked his entire career with one screen in one type of manufacturer's BIOS, <coughs> with one antivirus program, with one backup program, with one, re- he had this very, 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 very nerd, nerd, deep, deep dive into one extremely vertical space. So he was very nerdy about one extremely vertical space in the PC sector, which happened to check all the boxes on my interview questions. But then when we put him in front of a, a PC with an award BIOS and a different brand uh, NIC, he didn't know, and, and a different brand antivirus, he literally had no idea how to use it, and he didn't even really seem to have the aptitude to learn it. And then it was this really awkward process of, well, I kind of went on the line for this guy and got him hired, and now do we let him go? Do we train him up? And it was a three-year <laughs> ordeal. <laughs> because, you know, of oh course, we ended God. up trying to train him up. Uh, and that only went so well. So that was my okay. Now I realize I've got to I've got to I've got to interview for people's aptitude to learn. That's really what I. Yes. It's great if they have skill sets, but I got to figure out what their aptitude to learn is. I learned that the hard way, Mike. No, I yeah, I have a <laughs> a very very similar story actually. Do you want to share it? Um. Yeah, let me share one. I I actually kind of have an even uh, funnier one than the one I just thought of. So <laughs> okay. A couple of years ago, uh, I was hiring. Now, I at that point, we had enough people where I was not doing all of the hiring anymore. Um, fellow named Dave was. And he got this young fellow in from DeVry University. Now, I'm only naming the university because I think they should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, this, this, this guy came very recommended. Young guy, just out of school, right? For those of you who don't know, DeVry is a, is it fair to call them? I mean, they are for profit. Right? Are they still around? I thought they, I thought they, uh, I thought they went no, out of business. Oh no, they have a big campus uh, about uh, 30 minutes north of here. Oh. Like a, that's why I keep getting people from. Boy, like, did they try to, did I've they try to. successfully hired someone from DeVry. I just want to say. That. Man, did they go after me? They went through our career counselor at high school and then they went through yeah. my parents. They had us like sit down at the dinner table and they wanted my parents and I to listen to a presentation. Oh my gosh. They were. Yeah, it was. I've been to just a side note. I've been to a few career events for them, and it's never been a. Well, let's just put it out there. It feels like a puppy mill. I mean, it. You don't feel good there, right? You, you don't. First of all, you don't feel like you're in an actual college. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that vibe. <laughs> it has a. We bought a cheap corporate building. Yeah. Using tax credits, kind of feel to it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So anyway, so so this young fella comes in for the interview. That's fine, right? Interview lots of people. Um, we now have a policy of always interviewing, so like perpetual year year round interviewing. And you know, he, I guess he, I guess he filled out one of our forms and said recruiter comes in, and all I hear from the room, I the the room where he's being interviewed, the conference room is next to my office, my. You know, I have a private, I had at the time a private back office. And I hear what I thought was like choking. So I come in and the kid's <laughs> sobbing. Oh no. And two of my eyes are sitting there and Dave, the uh, older manager is just tells him, I, I don't know what to tell you. He couldn't pass fizz buzz. Okay. And he broke down <laughs> and he, he couldn't answer hard. like basic. I, th- I don't even remember. I think they were interviewing here from like, like basic web development or something like Ooh. just Java. If you fall apart during the interview, that's generally a bad sign. Well, no, the, the best was tears in his eyes. He says, I guess I should have studied harder at school. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, that's DeVry graduate there. Now, you know, there's probably, we probably have somebody listening who went to DeVry and had a good time. So we probably, right, no, I yeah. would love to hear that. I mean, yeah. I, <laughs> would you, <laughs> I actually would to be honest okay. with you, because okay. I just, we've had a few cases, not nearly as dramatic as that, mm. but we've definitely had a few 
issues with trying to hire grads from there, mostly based on the amount of debt they go into. Oh boy! And like the reality is that, like, they how would probably be a per- how much money they need versus where their skills end up being. Yeah, yeah. Like they'd be a perfectly acceptable like QA associate, right? But that only pays what it pays. So, that- I um I wanted to pick your brain about a topic that uh, is. This show covers the uh, the technologies related to uh, software development, and um, one of the tools that we've talked about a lot is the Mac Pro and Apple's line of machines that have not been updated since, well, everybody knows the story, but particularly the Mac Pro 2013. Big story. Everybody's talked about it. We don't need to go into the history of it. doesn't really matter anymore, uh, but there was a big announcement while we were gone, and that was that uh, they're going to rev the current Mac Pro, and then they're going to release a totally brand new mac pro in 2018 with a more modular design which who knows what that really means um and they the way they did it which i think is also particularly interesting is they invited like five friendly journalists down uh to a to a specific meeting spot and uh sort of did a q a style discussion about the future of the mac pro and uh they really tried to uh to double down on how their pro users are important to them and that 30 percent of uh, their uh, Macs are used by pro users, et cetera, et cetera. Did, did anything in this entire thing jump out at you, Mike? And do you feel a little bit better now in some sense? Because you know, a lot of times we hear people that hate us talking about Macs, but there's also a huge group of people out there that say, guys, it's just a tool. I don't understand it. And from the context of a tool, Mr. MacBook Pro owner, um, I'm curious to know what you think about Apple's apparent very unusual public statement about future hardware plans and support of the professional market. Do you feel relieved? I don't hear you. I'm super oh, surprised it happened at all, right? That this, yeah, I was too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's very on Apple. I mean, what it makes me think is that in five years, I'm going to be reading a very interesting book on the Kindle by like mm. someone who used to run the Mac department that God knows what happened. It sounds like, well, there were some dumb decisions, touch bar. Um, I, I have a theory. I, I, I have a theory that they tried to make the, the trash can work for longer than they should have. And then they had to, at some point, semi recently well, bail. They said they got backed into a thermal corner, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That they couldn't cram anything hotter in it. Um, I mean, physically hotter. What? On the other hand, just kind of playing the other side, based on what they're saying, it doesn't sound like these new products are going to come out till at least 2018 Mm -hmm. now one thing we'll get in probably late 2017 is an imac pro right which might actually be the most competitive thing they're working on which to be honest might be like sufficient for most people i suspect that's the case uh i think that might so um i you know i really got on apple's case when they did 16 gigs of ram and an old mac pro because uh, the video profession industry is very dependent on Apple's hardware if you're in the Final Cut um, um, tool, tool set, which is what Jupyter Broadcasting uses, which I do think is, I think, objectively, is the best video editor for digital workflow. But that's beside the point. Um, I think that uh, this is probably, I think this iMac thing is probably a good sign. But I think the bigger story here, the reason why I'm not, everybody else has talked about it, I'm not as excited about talking about the hardware and anything like that. I think right. the real story is, when do we start to, as professionals, have faith that Apple will have a cadence that... Uh, because the only thing about these professional machines that they need to be is high performance. They need to be very high performance because that's why you would buy a Mac Pro. That's the only reason you buy a Mac Pro is because it has some expandability and it's extremely high performance. 12 cores is a possibility. Uh, things like that. So how, well, And you buy it, buy it because you have a software tool chain in Mac OS too. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, absolutely. How, so what are they going to do? Are they, they, they're gonna, what would they have to do for you? Would they have to have two years in a row of updating the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro? And uh, what do they have to do for you? Because, see, for you, um, you're not in as bad as a position as I am. Because Xcode does get updated on a regular basis. And right. uh, Swift is, you know, obviously... Updated a, every four seconds. Yeah. So, like, your world of into the Apple professional, uh, uh, your view into the Apple professional world... Um, is probably not as tainted as mine is where I'm sitting on software that rarely gets updated and I'm sitting on hardware that is desperately underpowered for the video editor that they make. Um, I, and so I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this going, well, I am relieved, but this is stage one of, of really, this is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is step one of what is going to be a multi-year process to regain professionals' trust, I believe. 
Uh, because it, this is not shocking in some sense. If they were going to kill the Mac Pro, I think Apple probably would have stopped selling the Mac Pro trash can um, some time ago. I think that the very fact that they left it for sale was their their message to the public that this is still a product line that we're investing in. Because when they stopped or, making hardware, they stopped selling it. Or thick, juicy margins. Yeah. But let's um, let's take it back. I mean... You know, I've also, for the last couple months, we've been talking about, I've been finding alternative ways to like build things on Mac servers, right? Mm -hmm. um, and what I found is that, are you ready? You don't have your bell. I love that you don't have your bell today, by the way. Oh, you do, huh? Chris was right. Oh, man. Oh, man. In general, in general, for a first party project, native is just better. Uh -huh. than um than hybrid in most cases particularly than like cordova or ionic or react no wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute this seems like a this seems like a huge 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 mm. position change for you this seems like this would be huge. an entire episode <laughs> this could be the entire episode are you telling me this we're like we're like half it we're like half hour into this thing and you're telling me this now <laughs> what well i mean you've been dropping hints about that i got a macbook pro so i had yeah. to kind of oh so um Mm, yeah how is that going oh how is that going that whole macbook pro thing because we didn't get a chance to talk about it last time so yeah i wrote a quick review of it up on dominicm.com um it is not my favorite computer that i own <laughs> I um that statement. I, I decided to do something i normally don't do and i bought like the souped up 15 inch one i, I think that's if you're gonna buy a mac you, what else are you gonna right. do it's all soldered in one thing I'm noticing is I was getting a lot of complaints on those YouTube videos when I was doing them on the lemur, um, which is probably because the lemur has no video card. They seem better on the MacBook Pro. But the irony is the videos I'm doing are on Docker, and I do all of that on Linux anyway. <laughs> so there's like this weird tension here between do I go for video quality or do I actually like... Oh, geez. Are you, who are you telling about that tension? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Boy, do I understand that. Yeah. The um, issue that oh, just what? real... The issue I'm having is I've spent probably almost six months trying to replicate native, and we're talking particularly about pro-grade iPad apps here, hmm. native quality uh, user experiences using per, mostly Ionic and some other uh, web-based frameworks, and I haven't been able to do it. Which is either that I suck at it, which is possible. What I'm finding from talking to folks on forums uh, about this is, is the obvious, right? There is a sacrifice for going that route. Hmm. And if you want to make these high-end, which will hopefully command a high-per-unit price, professional tablet apps, you basically have to be native. And then you get into an argument if Xamarin is native or not, but let's just leave Xamarin in its own thing because I would want to do that on a Mac anyway, right? Boy, I I, what, what, but what jumps out at me about all this is uh, <clears throat> a huge part of hybrid development for you was a reduction in time and cost to, to a market and to create and to take clients on and, and reuse components to reduce build time. Like I know that's uh, all. some of that's still possible with native, obviously, but it seems like you're forfeiting some of those... Um, market-driven pressures that were leading you towards uh so, so is this a change in in is this a is this a change in scope of work that you're going to take on like it seems like that there's it's not just the type of work you'll do but then also the volume of work you could take on afterwards so there's two different things here right for for line of business enterprise apps hybrid is still the obvious right choice um, what we're talking about here is for on the app store professional grade. Oh yeah, production. Oh, I mean, I'm totally on board with that. So uh, lower volume, but maybe higher priced client type of thing. Lower volume, higher priced client, or something that I that we're going to publish on our own, right? That's really what I'm talking about here, where we have to compete not with other consultancies, mm, sure, sure, but we're sure. right. We're competing as a product. And your your company name is specifically on it, your branding or something Correct. like that. Okay, okay. Correct. Yeah. So there but you make a great point. There's a lot of sacrifices. I mean, if you're doing native iOS, Swift moves really, really fast. Um, the community around it and some of the practices around it are are still, in my opinion, very immature. But at this point, starting a project in object objective C is kind of crazy. Um, we are going to have some changes in Swift 4, which is problematic. Though not, I'm told, not as bad as 2 to 3. 
but that's all kind of like window dressing and details, right? If you think about, if you think of that, and this I think is for a lot of pros and a lot of developers, if you think about the problem with what, what Apple did with their hardware lineup, they missed the market in some way, right? They confused consumers and professionals. And it's true that things that are nice for consumers are also nice for professionals, but most pro would would rather a heavier or hotter device, you know, and have it be slightly cheaper or isn't that true? Power. Do you mind if I pick up from here? Pick up Uh, because I noticed in your MacBook review on on dominicm.com that we'll have linked in the show notes that you uh, you mentioned the XPS 13 Developer Edition being a a pretty compelling rig that ships with Ubuntu, but you said it'd be nice if. Dell started shipping machines with a lot more horsepower. Um, <clears throat> boy, oh boy, do I agree with you on that. And uh, they are, they are, they have a, I think it's, I'm not really great with Dell product lines because there's so many of them, but they right. have a precision line of product, which is like their uh, super high-end, fancy-schmancy business line. And I'm grabbing it right now. Do you hear me grunting? Do you hear that? Do you hear this is me, Mike? This is me grunting. <laughs> It's actually not that bad. It's seven pounds. Um, it is the uh, it's the Precision seventy seven twenty, and it is a seventeen inch laptop. Mm. Uh, this is a review unit that I have. Now uh, you want to talk about uh, uh, you want to talk about horsepower. First of all, it's it's actually design wise. I mean, it's big because it's a seven pounder, uh, but it's got a carbon fiber top, which looks really slick and uh, can take some can take some damage. Uh, it's got a uh, and it's got otherwise, and then it's got aluminum trim around the edges, and then it's got it does have a plastic bottom, but it's a very hard plastic with a removable bottom that you can swap out a battery, and it has a trigger loaded SSD that you can pop in a SSD in and out really quick, which is awesome for working on different projects. It's got USB C and DisplayPort and SD card reader, but that's not that's not the cool part. So check this out. Tell me if this is enough horsepower for you, okay? It's got a Xeon processor in this laptop that can turbo boost wow. up to 4.2 gigahertz. Wow. It has 16 gigabytes of video RAM. 16 gigs of video RAM. It has a Quadro NVIDIA graphics card in it. 4K 17-inch uh, display. It has the next generation like uh, Touch ID type fingerprint sensor built in, works under Linux. It has 64 gigabytes of system RAM. That RAM is ECC, so it does air checking, and it has two PCI Express SSDs and one uh, five or uh, three and a quarter, whatever they are, standard SSD that you would just like buy off Amazon or something that's triggerably loadable, so you can just pop it in and pop it out for projects. So three SSDs total for a total storage space of over three terabytes. It also can do RAID five across those SSDs. Obviously, it has built-in Ethernet, and it has the capability to plug into a docking station where you can get, uh, like, multiple displays. You can get up to six monitors. You can get up to six screens uh, running off of this laptop. In this configuration, I believe it is about $7,500. So you pay for it, but you could drop things off like ECC RAM and Xeon, and the 64 gigs of system RAM you could probably knock down, and the 16 gigabytes of video RAM. Uh, and it ships with Ubuntu preloaded, <clears throat> and then of course they have everything in between. You can spec that thing up to ten thousand dollars preloaded with Linux. Isn't that incredible? So, uh, yeah, first yeah. of all, ten grand is an amazing price for a laptop. Yeah, it is. Um, it's like so, no price. <laughs> so we we are probably on the verge of the uh, System seventy six Galago that I saw yeah. being announced yeah. right as we record. Yeah, it's a good day. It's a it's a good time for Linux hardware right now. It feels like it is, but do you worry about smaller vendors kind of getting eaten alive? Because Dell, Dell's, and I wrote a post about this Mac Exodus. Dell has a lot of money to throw around. You know, I wonder. I wonder um, if it depends. It depends. You know, this Galago could be very appealing to the web dev type developer. I mean, so the reason why, so the, okay, let me back up a little bit. The Sputnik program at Dell was really an effort to go after a very, narrow slice of the market developers they just sputnik was about going after developers and dell wanted to figure out how to better target developers and build hardware for developers and through that process they realized well we need to have better designed hardware we, and we need to put more we need to put this we need to put uh, like uh, better screens in it 
Uh, but the other thing that they realized was we need to ship Linux. It wasn't so it was the developer market that pushed them to ship Ubuntu to begin with, and that is an entire category of client that a business like System76, if they just successfully addressed that spectrum of the market, could continue to be successful. And something like the Galago Pro, I think, would uh, would clearly do that. Where it seems where it seems like an impossible battle for a company like System76 uh, after going out of Dell would be the enterprise and business space. Um, not only does Dell just have such established uh, um, sales channels there, uh, but they, they're they a name. You know, uh, right. a, I, I hear from a lot of people, I've never, I'd never heard of System76 until I watched the Linux Action Show. I hear that quite a bit, which is great. That thrills me, and I'm glad we're spreading the word about System76. Um, <clears throat> I guarantee you a lot more people have heard of Dell than the Linux Action Show. Dell is a very established brand, especially in the business space. But the other thing is, because Dell's been doing it for so long, like, holy crap, do they have their heads around what these businesses need? Like, I, I went in there like, m- you know, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cock of the Wild, like, why do you guys got so many products? I can't keep it straight. Can't you simplify and just focus a little bit? What's your problem? And then I realized that they're making screens that have a certain antibimicrobial, bi- whatever it's called, coding, so they can go into uh, uh, into clinics and be completely scrubbed down. To, to they, they make... They make things specifically for uh, finance rooms. They have they have monitors and, and PCs and cases even that are designed specifically to go on trading floors. Like they have so they they are so deep into that world that they know exactly the type of materials to make this particular uh, armrest pad out of because that's what that industry likes. And they are so, they are so good at super serving like the the type of companies that have a seven hundred ninety nine dollar limit. And that's as much as we'll spend on a machine, but we'll buy five thousand of them and. When when you start offering all of those machines or or a lot of those machines with Linux, that's going to be impossible to compete with. I think at the System seventy six level, but at the narrow spectrum that could still be very profitable for a company their size, the developer spectrum, I, th- I think they have a good shot with that Galago. I personally, if I could change one thing about it myself, and maybe I would change my mind if I had a review unit and I could try it, but I really think it'd be awesome if you could charge that sucker with USB C. And and drop the barrel connector altogether. That's 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 a tough thing because the XPS thirteen can do that, um, and uh, and Dell is also working on certifying. I don't know if I can say much, but from what I did see, actually I can't. I can say it. Uh, they're working on certifying a line of docks to like USB C docks that work with Linux. So you can buy a Dell dock and you hook it up to one USB C plug and it charges your laptop and it gives you external video, Ethernet, USB hookups, and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just going to be another $85, $100 add-on to your XPS 13 purchase. And you're going to have a whole ecosystem of components that are tested and certified under Ubuntu that uh, is also going to be really hard for a company like System76 to, to make. But if you don't need those things or, or you're, you're, you're comfortable assembling your own, your own dock or whatever you might need, like a developer or a sysadmin would be, I think they could thrive there. That's my thoughts. And I think today's the day. I'm not sure, but I think today's the day... Uh, orders are going out. I haven't seen any press, but I haven't, I haven't seen anything. I'm on the early email list, and I haven't uh, seen. Would you be tempted if you weren't if you didn't have the MacBook Pro right now? Well, the problem is I also just got a lemur, right? Yeah. Um, I would love a review unit to see kind of how it stacks up. Yeah, I'd be curious to see your thoughts too. But I don't. Um, I mean, unless it blows me away, I can't imagine being willing to like replace the lemur since it's you know what four months old. So uh, we have a couple more, like a tool and a couple more things to talk about. But first, I wanted to mention Scale Your Code, scaleyourcode.com. It, .com, it's a new thing. You may have heard of it before. Uh, scaleyourcode.com, you go there. It's a mailing list you sign up for. It's a low, it's a low flow mailing list, that's, which is very nice. I appreciate that. And you get access to interviews with really interesting and fascinating people in the profession. This is a great one. Uh, I don't. I don't know why I've never mentioned this one because this seems like one that our audience would love. Building and scaling code school with Docker and a service or a service oriented architecture. So this is Thomas Meeks in this interview. He's the CTO of Code School, the online learning platform that probably a lot of you know of, and he's got ten years of software development experience. And uh, he's also a coffee snob. So if you miss some of our coffee talk, there might be some of that in there. I would imagine. Anyways, it's an interview over at scaleyourcode.com. You go there, you sign up, you get access to these interviews. It's a free mailing list. Uh, and I don't, I don't imagine you get a lot of traffic unless it's like a new interview or something like that going on. And you can hear about the interesting technology they're using over at Code School as well and how they're using Docker to deploy their systems. Mm, 
So how do you get access to this free interview? Just go to scaleyourcode.com, sign up there. It's really easy, really simple. And uh, we appreciate Scale Your Code for uh, sponsors right here of the shenanigans, the Coda Radio program. Scaleyourcode.com, go sign up, get access to the interviews. And a big thank you, scaleyourcode.com, scaleyourcode.com. Now, uh, we have a little uh, little, uh, little uh, code here. Look at this. Look at this little code on the Coda Radio program. Oh, aren't we supposed to be? I don't know about this. Hold on. This, this, isn't, this isn't discussion about iPhone or Android. I think people tune in with it. They expect an iPhone and Android discussion. We can't do code here on the show. A little Ruby at that. A little Ruby. Uh, well, and all honestly, what the Ruby does is it helps you find the alias name in your Android uh, keystroke. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well done, sir. <laughs> so we made it back. Good, good. Very good. <laughs> Perfect. This is yeah. It's, it's I put it as a gist on GitHub. You know, I keep having this problem where people like hand me their key stores for apps they haven't touched in you know three years, and I'm like, hey, can you give me the alias name? What? Mm-hmm. Never mind. Thank you. So I just wrote a quick little Ruby script. All it does is call out to the Bash script and return it. Okay. And uh, and now you're giving it to the people, and it's linked in the show notes. That's open source. And uh, also, uh, for you uh, MacBook uh, Pro owners out there, uh, installing Docker on macOS. What the hell is this? First Windows, now macOS. Actually, they've been working on this for a long time. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a, native, it's a native Mac app that just goes ahead and set up Docker for you oh, completely. Damn it. Damn it. In like two seconds. It drives me crazy when this stuff happens. Drives, I mean, it's a good tool. It, it drives me crazy, though. Like, you also get Brew on macOS. You know, and and now they just ported YouTube download to Windows. Uh, all the great, all the good tools that start on Linux eventually, if they're really good tools, make it to the other platforms. And it drives me crazy because if we could just, you know, live in an al- alternate reality all of a sudden where uh, nothing's GPL and yet somehow all of this still worked, uh, those would be such great exclusive platform tools like Docker. How awesome would it be if it only ran properly on the Linux kernel? It'd be great for Linux. But now you Mac guys. There you go. You get your Docker. You Windows guys get Docker. Everybody gets Docker. Let's go port it to NetWare. Why did NetWare get Docker? Damn it, Mike. Wow, you're fe- you're uh you're a little upset there, Chris. Do you want to? It's just a it's just a long story. It's just I'm good. No, I'm good. It's just. Well, Chris, <sighs> you know, the Mac Exodus could be over. Can you imagine that? Yeah, it, it might be actually. If they do a good uh, iMac Pro and they. Uh, yeah. The, the, and if they can get the MacBook Pro in 2017 updated no to 32 gigs, of, you don't oh, think so? Ma- oh, MacBook Pro, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Touch Bar. If they can get the Touch Bar running 32 gigs of RAM. Without and, the Touch Bar. Um, yeah, both options. And and they can get an iMac out the door that's good. Uh, I think the Mac Exodus is over. I think it could be. You know, it's so funny because the first thing when I saw the thing on Daring Fireball, not to hit this too hard, I was thinking this is probably going to blunt sales for... Yeah folks like Dell and System76. I wonder, you know, I got the sense, I got the sense that this is something that's been building momentum for them for about five years. Like, it's not just, and if you think about that, that's not like one particular failed product update. That's something that's been, that's a bigger thing that's been building. I got a sense that they, so they've been, they've been trying to figure this out, Linux on the desktop and the laptop. Dell's been trying to figure it out for about 10 years, and then it was about five years ago that they went, oh, wait a minute, if we focus on the developer market and we really f- listen to what they want, and they got the right people in the right spot at the right time, and I don't think that was the MacBook Pro doing that, because like five years ago, you know, I mean, this MacBook Pro 2013, when I got it, was actually a pretty competitive. Yeah, seat. right, so, like, nobody's going to go out of business because of this, but, you know, I am, I have been hearing for months now about a lot of kind of developers like me who, you know, their daily driver was like a 20... 20- 14 MacBook mm-hmm. Pro. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking of switching over to the new Galago or to an XPS 13 in particular. Yeah, I think and, it's you know uh, I think Mike I've I've listened to a lot of I listened to a lot of podcasters and a lot of uh, professionals that have been griping about this and I think this has put the fear of God into some of them because you know like we did this whole Dell coverage under Lightworks so we could edit on that monster Dell laptop I just told you about and the. The by just changing my tool set to something like Lightworks, even though, for the record, it's 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 nowhere near Final Cut Ten. Uh, uh, but just even changing my workflow to something like Lightworks, it enables a huge range of hardware possibilities. Like I can have a small machine that I work on, and I can have huge monster machines I work on, and that's bigger than one vendor. That's bigger. That's a bigger deal than that. So 
the Exodus trend, and or maybe just call it a transition. I don't know. It 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 may continue because the web is making things computing more generalized, and yeah. Apple's made mistakes in the past, and there's no guarantee they're not going to continue to mess up the Mac once they ship it. I don't know. Well, what's in? I think you're right. I'm it's going to slow it. It's going to slow. What I'm finding my own usage is I still use, you know what the computer I use the most is, believe it or not, the Raytel, the first Linux computer that I bought from System76, the tower, yeah, which the they tower. no longer make. Yeah. Um, do you know why? Because I go to my office and it's at my desk, yeah. right? Yep. yep. And it's hooked up to a 27-inch monitor yep. with a great keyboard yep. and I don't need 57 dongles. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, because I'm spending most of my time doing right now Ruby development and Docker. Yeah. Well, I do encourage people who are interested in Docker, you know, if you're running a Mac, go ahead and try the Docker app. It's really, it really is a Linux thing, right? It, it's just better on Linux. I'm sorry. Like, it, it just is. If you're going to maybe do that, a lot of production stuff, but if you're just doing some testing, it seems like it would be a great way to, if you're on the Mac oh, platform. No, no, right. You, you can do it right. And then this is, a lot of this, I think, is personal preference. The only thing that I found, like, incredibly grading working on Linux is, it sounds stupid, but iOS development, right? Well, sure. I mean, it's, and it was grading enough to the point of, oh, and VPNs. That, that, so that is actually, I would even say, a bigger issue. Because the reason I bought the MacBook Pro was for a gig that required me to go on site um, and then to VPN in for a few weeks. And what I found... Well, that was more corporate that, policy, right? Because, I mean, obviously Linux supports VPNs. The, well, they, this is, I found this very weird. They have some vendor running their VPN that uses some proprietary piece of VPN software uh-huh. yeah, okay. that you have to install on your machine. And it is only available for OS 10. I'm sorry. Archaic. That's archaic. Right. I mean, this is like, we are, we are, we are in the stone ages. Yeah. But, and, and the irony is the work is Ruby, is Ruby work. It's work that I prefer to do on Ubuntu. <laughs> and I had to like set up an entire Mac and like, get Ruby mine and it, which is fine. Like I've done it a hundred times, Yeah, but I, I, I really couldn't believe that, you know, it's one thing to say, well, you want to write iOS at, you want to write an iOS app. Yeah. Okay. You need a Mac, but to say, Oh, because our VPN is from like 10 years ago. You yeah. need to, you know, the, the yeah. Shreven folks at Dell who are working on the Linux side, uh, their corporate VPN and access control software require windows seven or windows 10, I believe. So yeah. they, to get on to get a proper to get on the network they would need to do their job. I mean, they could probably. I think if I understand, there's probably multiple networks. But to get on the network they would need to do their job, they have to do it from a Windows machine first. And it, there's so ridiculous. many companies. There's a lot of companies like that. So you know what the sad and this is just kind of funny. I think for this gig, what I've taken to doing is doing the work on the Raytel and then copying the files over to the Mac to log into their VPN to SVN the code up to their server. That's kind of like me when, I, when I'm doing a big video project. I import all, and organize all of the footage and categorize it all under Linux. And then I reboot under Mac OS, access the same footage, and edit. <laughs> yeah. It, and, and that's not to denigrate like working in the Mac. I worked in the Mac for you know, almost 10 years. I mean, it's just there are these little, there are still these little dumb policy or compatibility issues on Linux. I mean, you know, Mark Shuttleworth wakes up and he's like, oh, remember Unity? You won't for long. Huge news, actually. Huge, huge, and we're just going to footnote it. I mean, love it. Maybe we might come back to it because there's going to we'll be a development angle to it too. Oh, there's going to. I'm. I don't even get me started on like what's going to happen to snap packages. It's yeah, and what it means for uh, if you're going to if you're writing an application for the Linux desktop, how seriously do you consider GTK three now? You know, like. Well, I think you just target GNOME. Right? I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, you do. GNOME is becoming the, the answer, GNOME, right? GNOME is yeah. That's huge when you com- when you consider right. flat packs and GNOME and the fact that it's going to be across SUSE, Fedora, Debian, Ubuntu. Oof! Holy crap! Right, GNOME is basically standard. I mean, my or my issue is that I like Unity. Yes, yeah, I'm hoping that's they what do. Joel was saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm hoping, and more importantly, Unity is a pretty user friendly distro. Like I just gave someone um, who's going to be working with me a a Unity Ubuntu box because it's similar enough to Mac, which is what she's used to that there's no real problem. I'm not sure how GNOME 3 would yeah would work. And I don't think they're going to modify it much. You know, I don't know if I, if I make it to next week's episode or not. If I don't, and you get, uh, like, Noah or Wes on, you guys should... If I don't get to talk about it, you should talk about it. It'll be an all-Linux episode. Oof. Well, Oof. so, uh, Mr. Dominic, I think that should probably bring us to the end of That's this it? Roadshow edition. You know, I do want to say, we had a plan 
Uh, I just want everybody to understand. Now, actually, it's, considering the fact that we're using cellular connectivity and all that, it sounded pretty usable, pretty good. Um, but we did plan to have it like super high fidelity. We were going to impress you guys with how great it sounded. And I, I stayed up late last night. I secured three data connections. I lugged a whole bunch of hardware, which I put a picture of in the Slack if you didn't see it. And uh, I even was starting to call Verizon to set up a fourth data line. So that way. And Hidea very kindly vacated the RV for the hour and plus that we've been chatting to give me more than that, to give me, you know, just a quiet RV, which is extremely nice of her. Uh, Cause it's not like we have a car. <laughs> so I don't know what she's doing out there. And we got it all dialed in. And then there was a cloud outage. And our, our favorite tool Zencaster has been offline for this entire recording session. And so we had to use our backup audio recording. So I apologize if it sounded, actually I think it, I think it all, all in all turned out pretty good. And I bet the beard will make it even sound better. But uh, in the end, we did plan to really blow your socks off, had all our ducks in a row, and then the cloud took us down. And so I'm just saying that just for Noah's benefit, because he's already on Telegram giving me a hard time right now. (laughs) All right, Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Uh, Go to buccaneer.io or dominicm.com. Very good. And uh, follow me at ChrisLAS on the Twitter. The network is at JupiterSignal. Find our live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And give us your feedback at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. And last but not least, check out our subreddit at coderadio.reddit.com. And we'll see you right back here next time.